You're now listening to Sanity at the Movies, Stargazing Edition. Hey, this is Nathan. That's Jake. It's our whatever number episode this is about Star Wars. We're talking about Revenge of the Sith. Jake, what do you sound like? I sound like this. That's what Jake sounds like. That's called a sound check in the business of podcasting. You want to have everyone who's going to talk, talk near the beginning so people can identify them. And that's what Jake just did. And now we are free to discuss Star Wars Episode 3. Revenge of the Sith. There are heroes on both sides, Jake. Heroes on both sides. And writers on no side of <laughs> this production. <laughs> ah, Star Wars Revenge of the Sith. So much to say. What is there to say about this thing? What, were, what are your initial thoughts about Star Wars Revenge of the Sith, Jake? Do you remember well, seeing this movie? And the, I guess we should do our, what's now becoming traditional, our, our theater check, our, our memory check, our context, our baggage, whatever. Yeah, I think it's the same as Attack of the Clones. I don't really know. I don't have any memory of seeing this in theaters or not. Yeah. Star Wars wasn't a, a big deal for me. I might have seen it in theaters on a matinee as a guilty pleasure or with a friend or depending on the year, what year was this? This would have been, I want to say 2003, but 2005. So in 2005, my youngest brother might have been 10. So maybe this is something that I would have thought it was cool to take him to go see. You also could have, just to give people a little context, I think this is vaguely, vaguely interesting, you could have taken him to see Peter Jackson's King Kong. I could have. You could have taken him to see Viggo Mortensen's History of Violence. You probably wouldn't have wanted to take him to see that. Nope. Sin City, a certain franchise was reinventing action cinema largely responsible. Lord of the Rings? No, I mean, that was maybe still going at this time, but there was something that I would argue was about as influential to the next 10 years of, of action cinema as anything. But just in, in terms of its approach to a beloved franchise, Which a lot of- possible? No, a lot of other franchise keyed off of what this franchise did. Christopher Nolan's Batman? That's right, Batman Begins. Batman began this year. Oh. 2005, arguably much more important to the to what to where these kinds of things went than Revenge of the Sith. Yep, I agree with that statement. I have nothing really to say about that. Just thought that was vaguely interesting. Harry Potter, Goblet of Fire, Part Four, Corpse Bride, Doom, Karen Knightley's Terrible Pride and Prejudice. Those mm-hmm. are some of the other things you might have seen. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Wallace and Gromit, The Curse of the Were Rabbit. The Exorcism of Emily Rose. These are some of the movies you might have seen. Walk the Line. Joaquin Phoenix was walking the line with Reese Witherspoon. Well before he was joking. Well before he was joking. So, I do remember seeing this movie in the theater. And once again, the only point I have to make about it is that I do not remember people saying that this movie ruined their childhood when it came out. I remember, as I said last time, that the second movie was fairly well hated when it came out. But even then, people were, "Ah, you know, you got to sit through a bunch of boring, stupid stuff to get to Yoda. So, there was something that they thought was cool. This movie, the common thing on it was that it was pretty good. It was a rebound. It was darker. It was what we all had actually wanted to see in the other ones, kind of. And it still had some goofy stuff, but people seemed to, by and large, like it. Most people rank this in the top two or three Star Wars movies. Do they? Even still. Probably. You got a lot of people that just hate the prequels, like, on principle. But if they like one of them, this is... The one that they like. Or... A lot of people will actually be like, I'm an iconoclast. Actually, the Sorry. only thing I like is Phantom Menace, which I can actually kind of see because that movie's tactile and feels kind of real and has some fun sequences that are more in the real, feel, it feels more in the Star Wars tradition maybe than the other two prequels too, do. 
I think as far I as... I don't like any of these other movies because this one feels more in the Star Wars tradition than all of the other Star Wars movies. Well, as, as I pointed out before, <laughs> true Star Wars nerds, like true, the true faithful, they can only like about two and a half movies worth of Star Wars. They like the original New Hope without special feature, without special edition. They like the original Empire Strikes Back minus the special edition. And they like Return of the Jedi, kind of. But even then, it's like Lucas is selling out by bringing Han Solo back alive and selling teddy bear toys. And so really, if, if, if you're like a hardcore original Star Wars fan, the only thing that you can like is about two and a half Star Wars movies. Well, that's a pretty lame and curmudgeonly way of looking at life. Yeah, but there are those people, you know. I'm a true James Bond fan, so the only movies that I like are Dr. No and From Russia with Love. They, they started to sell out around the time of Goldfinger. And then Daniel Craig tried to bring it back, but he's too much of a pretty boy. I, thought, I thought all uh, pretty boy. Too much of a pretty boy? Uh, somebody might say that. Interesting. Daniel Craig's pretty pretty. But the idea of James Bond being too much of a pretty boy is funny to me. Right. I mean... James Bond is a pretty boy. That's that's his thing. That's kind of the point. Plus, I mean, what the Daniel Craig really did was bornify things. So I yeah, know. I think so. But I don't know. Some might argue. Well, you know what? Some might, but we won't because we're here to talk about Revenge of the Sith. <laughs> uh, like I said, I remember most people actually liking this movie. There was a little bit of uh, it's too bad it wasn't actually as good as we imagined it. Yeah, I don't remember anything negative about it. But again, I'm just not a good judge of how these things were back in the day because I just didn't care about Star Wars. Right. They were not special to me, but I was always down for a good lightsaber battle, I guess. Yep. Well, this movie has a couple of them, although we'll talk about that because it has probably the most famous lightsaber battle in Star Wars lore, one that I remember talking about on the playground long before the prequels came out. Everybody knew that Obi-Wan and Anakin had a final showdown where Anakin got chopped up and turned into Darth Vader. We knew it was on Mustafa. Like, that was that was part of canonical lore from for as long as I can remember. And we were always looking forward to, and we'll have to talk about whether that particular fight lives up to... So that was something that you knew existed before the first prequel, before any of the prequels were yeah, out? Yeah, before any of the prequels. I knew that when the prequel trilogy came about, the thing that we knew that they were, that I remember knowing that they were building to was a lightsaber fight on a lava planet called Mustafar. And you knew Anakin was going to get cut up and turned into the robot monster that we know and love. Right. Yeah, so I knew that there was, like, it was common. I don't know where this came from. I guess it was just something that Lucas had released into the, you know, the legendary universe. Maybe people had... It's like comic books or book or novelizations and things like that. Yeah, which I read a little bit of, not a ton of. I read some of the mo- more popular ones, Timothy Zahn trilogy. If people, some couple nerds out there, will know what that is. But I, I knew that this series was building up to not just this particular incident, but this incident, which was the greatest mythological incident that had ever happened in the whole series. This was like the coolest, best, you know, the two greatest masters. I don't know the the, the final showdown between Batman and the Joker, Batman and Superman. This was like one of those nerd things: King Kong versus huh. Godzilla, Freddy versus Jason. This was just like one of those. Was the it was the iconic, so it could never live up to. No, it really couldn't. So I had the advantage of having being completely one hundred percent oblivious to their to anything existing outside of the original trilogy coming right. into the prequels. Only knowing that we were headed to Anakin becoming Darth Vader, falling to the dark side. Right. That's it. That's all I knew. And I didn't 
care enough to think about it, I was happy to go and see laser swords right. whip around each movie. Doesn't well, it? this movie has some good laser swords. I don't know. I guess we'll go through it chronologically. So we'll, we'll talk about that laser fight when we get to it. But first, we have the wonderful... This was actually a good title crawl. I think I've made fun of last the both of the last two title crawls for containing no useful information and a lot of... Yeah. This is a pretty good title crawl, except for the there are heroes on both sides. I'm not sure what heroes... I mean, I'm sure you'll tell me in the Clone Wars, but... <laughs> you betcha. <laughs> in these movies, I don't know if I can, that I can name a single hero. Hey, look, before we get into it, side. I'm just going to reiterate the thing that I keep saying, which is that you should definitely not watch Clone Wars. And with, yet, if you do, well, it basically... Well, no, you, you as an adult, feel free to watch Clone Wars. Just don't mindlessly turn it on and walk away from it while you're showing it to your kids. So let's just be clear. The reason you always have to provide a caveat is because you don't just want people to show this to their kids without any there's discernment. Some, yeah, there's some dark stuff in it and some there's like some really creepy witchcrafty stuff. It's just some dark moments. That's all. There's some dark moments that I wouldn't want to show undiscerningly to all of my kids as if this were a perfectly safe show. But let's be equally clear because this podcast isn't called Playing Games with Jake Menzel. This is no. this is a podcast where we drop truth bombs. And Cl- I, Cl- Clone Wars I think and Re- you like Clone Wars. Clone Wars and Rebels are the two best uh, things that exist in all of Star Wars canon, period. Just in terms of storytelling, world building, and everything. It's the best of... Uh, Clone Wars is slow and sloppy, and it takes a while for them to find their feet. So you hear me say this sort of thing, and then you go and you pick up... Excuse me, you go and pick up season one or whatever... Of Clone Wars, you might be like, this is, eh, this is, I don't know about right. this. It takes a while to find its feet. George Lucas was producing it, executive producing it, and being a mentor to a couple of different people, and also getting in their way. <laughs> and, you know, it was just, it took them a, all a while to figure out what the working relationships were going to be and how this was going to work. Once it hits its stride, though, it becomes one of the greatest, I think, maybe the greatest thing in all of star wars and the only thing that compares to it is the follow-up which is rebels and they're both really really great and they have some of the most some of the best storytelling some of the most human it's just really good it's really cathartic you know you're more likely to cry watching these shows than you are watching any of the stupid movies <laughs> and and then when you think about it you think i think these kids shows like the great thing about them is they get to just be kids shows and for kids and nobody feels bad about them being kids shows. Right. And so they can play in that world. They can be for kids. They can be silly and fun and still tell these adult stories without the pressure of trying to please people who can't be pleased because they are not living in, they're 30 and not six. And so they can't bring a childhood simplicity to this this franchise they have nostalgia for. Yeah, you know, I watched like, the Clone Wars movie. I've not watched much, if any, of the series, but I did watch the movie that starts it. There's this part where they're climbing up a cliff and then like bad guys are attacking them on the cliff and then electric guitars start playing and they pull out their, their lightsabers and <laughs> they're killing all the bad guys and it's awesome. <laughs> and part of me was like... My inner snobby nerd was like, oh, come on, electric guitars for Star Wars, really? <laughs> but then, even by the time the sequence was done, I was like, oh, that was really fun. They were on a cliff and they were killing bad guys. It's <laughs> like, like neat. <laughs> why didn't, you know, that's like just everything that George Lucas usually didn't want to do in those prequels was just give us that kind of stuff. Yeah, and this is full of that kind of stuff. Laser swords everywhere and, you know, 
in laser fights and it, so re- I think some really great action sequences, but also just really human storytelling. So much so that I am asserting and will continue to assert, having rewatched Revenge of the Sith, that it is an inescapably better movie having watched Clone Wars. And I don't care. I don't care how bad Revenge of the Sith is. I don't care how weak and plot holy and emotionally stupid it, it is. It plays as such a stronger movie having watched Clone Wars for what they did with Anakin from bringing him from Attack of the Clones up until the point where he's actually ready. And in some ways, he's very understandably jaded with the Jedi Order. He's very much the best Jedi in the galaxy. He's right. Well, which just like there's so many things that we have to take on faith in this movie or we don't even know. I'll give you two examples. He chops off Dooku's head and it's like, oh, I guess he got to that place where he's willing to do that. He wasn't really there last time I saw him, but he's... he. We see him take steps in that direction right. at multiple places across Clone Wars and including a, a place where he does just kill a guy. He's threatening to blow up a ship and he's got the jump on him. The easiest solution is to just open his lightsaber through his heart and end of story. And, you know, Obi-Wan's shocked and taken aback but also because obi-wan's there and obi-wan can't do it and he's gonna like let this guy blow up the ship or kill his girlfriend or something like that Mm -hmm. you know he's got his principles at war with him and anakin at this point he's just like you guys have let your principles allow hundreds and thousands of innocent people to die and i'm done with that and you guys suck at following your principles and you suck and you're completely inconsistent at following your principles right and it's pretty, like, you guys are, it's pretty cynical, the whole thing, like, oh, we're leading this war, we're leading this whole clone war, but we're keepers of the peace, and oh, we can't kill these people, but oh, we're leading all these troops into battle, and you know, what the heck? I thought the job was to win the war and bring peace to the galaxy. I thought the job was to protect innocent lives. How about we just we just do that? Here we have a guy that we know is a murderer, and he's threatening to kill all these people. He's a dead man. Right. Problem solved. Problem solved. Aren't you happy I'm here? Yeah. To absolve you of your guilt. And it's just fascinating that Lucas did, wasn't interested in giving us any of that shoe leather, like from point A to B. It's just like, because Palpatine does nothing. He does not give a good temp- tempter's speech to make Anakin cut that head off. He just says, yeah. kill him, do it. And Anakin does it. Yeah. You know, he has conflict about, he does have conflict about these sorts of things. But right. at the end of the day, so much of what you see of Anakin in the Clone Wars is Anakin's got a couple of principles that overcome his like Jedi brainwashing, which I don't know that there's a better way to say it than that. But like what they do is they give him a Padawan named Ahsoka and Ahsoka is like a little sister to him. You see it when it comes to Ahsoka, you see it when it comes to all of his men in his, in his troop that he leads. You see it even when it comes to R2-D2, like he feels he's such a loyal person he is a no man left behind kind of guy and he will risk his life and put his life on the line even to save R2-D2. Like he has compassion for the droids. He has compassion. Like if they're his responsibility, there is nothing that will stop him from protecting the people that are his responsibility. And that does early on, I mean, this is just good storytelling early on that takes some really great and amazing and heroic forms. And Mm -hmm. throughout the whole series, it takes great and amazing and heroic forms. But by the time we're done, he gets put into corners and he's been put into enough corners that he's, he's crossed lines. 
You know, it's as simple as like, uh, we're going to put Ahsoka as storytellers in a position where she's going to die. And there's going to be only one person that knows how, where she is and how to get to her in time. And the Jedi Order are going to have him captive, but the principles are not going to allow them. And he's going to be too strong for mind tactics, but they're not going to be able, they're just going to sit there and allow Ahsoka to die because, you know, they're not going to take anything farther. Well, what's Anakin going to do at that point? Ahsoka, who we all love, who is kind of the moral center of this show, she's going to die. And so, and, and nobody's willing to do her to do anything. They're just going to let it happen. So Anakin's going to go down and he's going to go to get access to the prisoner. And he's going to say, you will tell me where Ahsoka Tano is. And he's going to say, your Jedi mind tricks don't work on me. And then he's going to say, I don't need my Jedi mind tricks. Yeah. And the Darth Vader music's going to come on and the door is going to go shut. And then we're going to go straight to black. That's all we wanted to see in the movies. <laughs> <laughs> and then Anakin's going to walk out and know where Ahsoka Tano is and he's going to go save her. Right. And he's going to save the day. And he's going to be super angry with everybody because they were going to let her die. And there are a couple of times things like that happen. And uh, the big one towards the finale that I won't, Spoil, that was a surprising moment for me and I spoiled it, sorry. But little moments like that, um, other things that they do where they just kind of keep Anakin in the dark. Mm -hmm. I mean, they make Anakin think that Obi-Wan is dead. Oh, the old Sherlock Holmes gambit. It's, Sorry, Watson, you're such a bad actor. I had to pretend to be dead for five years. Exactly. They do that exact thing. But man, does it push Anakin into a dark place. Obi-Wan's the only father he's ever known. The whole point was so that they could track, you know, the kind of person who'd want to kill Obi-Wan, right? So what's Anakin do? Anakin's gonna go, Anakin's on a revenge mission. Right. He's and he's letting himself go full dark. Like he's just you killed my daddy and I'm coming for you. Mhm. <laughs> so it's just like See that all it, sounds it, awesome. And then and then, you know, the reveal comes out and then it's like Anakin's let himself go to this super dark place and nobody trusted him to keep him from it. And now he's going to look at Obi-Wan like he's mourned him. He was out on this big vengeance quest that was pushing him dark, dark, dark. And now here's Obi-Wan again. Like, yeah. And it's like, sorry, old boy. You were, mm -hmm. you know, we really needed you to lose it emotionally like we expected you to so that it would sell that he was really dead. How dare you? Yeah. So they do all, all sorts of stuff like this. By the time you get to, and you see these other compromises that the Jedi make, and, and it gets pretty explicit at points to really say that, and they're really confused at times. They're really conflicted. Yoda is really conflicted. Yoda's having trouble. Yoda's having bad dreams. Yoda feels like a failure. Yoda feels like a hypocrite. I don't talk much about Yoda's arc, but Yoda has his own arc in Clone Wars where he's like confident, awesome, and by the end, he's just like, I have screwed this all up. And I've let all of this slip right under my nose and I have failed and I have fought, I've taken the bait. So it, it all is, a, I think, a really wonderful setup for Revenge of the Sith that even makes emotional sense of Yoda just sort of at the end of his fight with Palpatine, him just sort of, uh, I'm going to go into an air duct and I'm going to get away and I'm going to go into exile. Like he's just, he has blown it completely. Well, there's so many, th the Jedi, as they read in this movie, specifically Yoda and Mace Windu, they feel like, depressed lost cynical i mean windu is like well i don't know what the prophecy and then he's gonna kill palpatine like yeah he doesn't care about his principles he just doesn't it feels in the movie apart from anything else like windu 
doesn't really have principles, is super cynical, is willing to use Anakin, is willing to give Anakin nothing, is willing to just slaughter Palpatine at the end, apart from any Jedi lip service towards their, their whole Buddhist peace philosophy thing right and he just mace window feels in the movies like a very cynical man but but then you don't you never know whether the movies, the movies want you never to feel tell that you way. that how right. to feel about that right they never they never tell you how to feel are about we just that. supposed to feel like this is this is good the jedi are, it, good, are right? these really badly drawn good guys or are they morally compromised yeah, yeah like the movies never told us that the jedi we're supposed to believe and feel that the Jedi are compromised. Right. Once once you tell me that, it makes so much sense reads, of everything. Yeah. And once you tell me the other thing you said a little bit earlier is Anakin has become the greatest Jedi. We're, we has. kind of know that in the movies, but we don't really see it. They're all capable of doing cool stuff and Anakin's doesn't stand out. To know that makes so much more sense. Like Anakin in the yeah. movie feels pretty petulant when he says... Oh, well, you're not going to make me a master. This is an insult. But I think for the movie to make emotional sense, we need to feel insulted with Anakin. Like they screwed him over. And yeah, maybe Palpatine shouldn't have pushed or they had a a right to be wary. But Anakin needs to feel absolutely stuck. And we as audience members need to feel stuck with him between a rock and a hard place when they'll let him into the inner circle just enough, but also want to keep him out. We should feel bad about that. And we don't know how to feel about it. Just in the in the framework of the movie, yeah. But it, it, when you bring all of Clone Wars to it, all of those beats, no matter how badly done they are in the movie, they make sense. They mm-hmm. all work. All of them work. Even it, even if you're a little annoyed that uh, Hayden Christensen didn't bring more dignity to Anakin, you know, and is too petulant mm-hmm. in those moments, it still plays so much better. Hmm. So there, that's my that's pre- your that's my precursor. Your precursor. All right, let's get into this. So we start with uh, their heroes on both sides, and then we have a pretty cool action scene. You like the space, chaotic space battle starts this thing off? Oh, I thought it was one one of the funner opening scenes of, I don't know, the first time I saw it, but I definitely remember thinking, hey, that's this is neat and fun. You have the buzz droids and the... I just kept thinking, this is the scene that we needed at the beginning of Attack of the Clones. Right, we, we, exactly. This is the scene that really does actually a pretty good job of setting up, what's his face, Obi-Wan, have a nice bantering mentor-mentee relationship, and they get things done. And yeah. this is like... And, and we feel their camaraderie. It's telling the story through action and showing instead of telling, you know, it does everything with that stupid elevator scene and Attack of the Clones. That was the ninth time you saved yeah, me the, from the bunch of... Exposit- and you do see this sort of thing... I think played out better in Clone Wars, but the thing where, you know, at the end of the day, like Anakin's sort of always saving everybody's butt. He's always going to take a risk. He's always going to, you know, oh, maybe that was a bad idea. Maybe I went too far with that. But at the end of the day, I'm not letting anybody down here. I will find the way and I will take the crazy risk at my own personal, you know, and so you've got, you know, he's going to slam his ship. He's going to try to shoot the droids buzz droids off of obi-wan's mm. ship then he's gonna come and try to scrape them off and he's gonna yeah and i know. like that i like that dynamic and i like the they don't they don't george lucas himself doesn't do enough with this in the movies but i, I like the idea of obi-wan's kind of willing to let him get away with it as long right. as it's working and that pragmatism is a really neat uh 
just conflict for Obi-Wan as a father figure and for the Jedi in general. Like, yep. we basically kind of need Anakin to do this stuff. But then yep. as soon as it, the one time it doesn't go right, we're going to frown on it and he's going to get in big trouble. And you yep. kind of and you see it from their point of view, why they'd let him do it. And then you see it from his point of view, why he'd be frustrated. Oh, well, actually, you kind of. Yeah, sure. You make some snide comments, but you just let me do this. So yep. if, and you're, that's, if that... you're only going to discipline me when it goes wrong, then. What are we doing here? Yeah, and that tension is played with all throughout that series. And Obi Wan does let things slide, and you know you have one of the like dumbest moments. One of the dumbest moments of Attack of the Clones, if you take it in and of itself, is the moment where Obi Wan suddenly realizes that Anakin and Padme are a thing after right. all this time. Uh, to me, is just like was always like, ah, oh, yes, wise Jedi Master. Um, good job figuring that out. Yeah, yeah. Like, but pretty much by the end of Clone Wars. Obi-Wan's been onto them for a long time. Yeah, which makes so much more sense. Yeah, and so that moment plays even in the movie more as, you know, I know about you guys, and I'm so sorry. Right. (laughs) Like, (laughs) this is my way of telling you I know how bad it is. (laughs) You know what was funny in the movie is after the big action scene, when we first see Padme, they, like, run up and hug each other in the middle of a giant public great subterfuge, guys. (laughs) (laughs) And then they stare into each other's eyes and have a whole scene. She tells him about that she's pregnant. Uh, it's just an example of how ham-fisted George Lucas is. is yeah. Like, let's visually show that these characters have to keep their secret if they do, or... Well, they're going to go openly out on each other's balcony, sh- you know, shirtless. Right. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's probably... I think some of that space is... Space cars buzzing by. Is just not having... Yeah, what's to stop a space reporter from, from uh, coming by and... But but I think some of that is just not actually building the sets, and some of it might actually be the challenge of being one of the first movies that was so thoroughly so done in post production. Yeah. Because I can see how George Lucas might think, well, depending on what the the world the, that the guys fill in here, it might look like they're more sneaky that they're than they are. But then you can see how the wrong memo gets to the wrong person, and we end up building a world where. They're just standing next to a pillar in front of everybody while they have this super intimate conversation. Mm-hmm. And I think a, probably a modern director working with these same tools would either pre-visualize it more or just think about it more. There, there's a number of things like that where it either lacks urgency or it just doesn't quite make sense given what's the environment that they're animated into in this movie. I'm willing to chalk that up to some of it, at least to Lucas just learning how to how to work mm-hmm. with this technology. So, I don't know. Is there anything else to say about the big action scene at the beginning? You got some hilarious R2-D2 comedy, which kids <laughs> love. He sprays the oil on those guys. Um, and lights them on fire by on, using his little jetpack. Using things. his little jetpack. R2-D2 does progressively get so smart and powerful in these... Hashtag Mary Sue. <laughs> yeah. R2-D2 is the ultimate Mary Sue. <laughs> he really didn't seem that cool in A New Hope, but apparently before New Hope, he was like killing guys i will say george lucas miscalculates a little bit i'm he does a lot but i thought it was funny like oh no the most worthless foe ever the battle droids that we've seen them go through like butter a million times have them surrounded in the elevator whatever shall they do and then oh they went through those guys Uh uh-oh there's more battle droids waiting for them at the top (laughs) of the elevator i hope they can get through those battle droids i don't know i mean if you're a kid like it's pretty fun to have the elevators open and the battle droids there and uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Those uh-oh moments get big laughs out of out of the kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've got the terrified robot that's like, oh, no, Jedi. Yeah. Ah, whatever <laughs> shall we do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, I, I guess. I think they play for comedy. Yeah, and for kid empowerment, I yeah. suppose. Just cutting through a useless foe like that is is fun to imagine. Yeah. And when it can be as not the battle droids are nice in that they're not they're not human, so we can yeah. feel a little bit better about just cut right through them. Cut right through them. Uh, I will say when uh, Dooku loses his head. Yeah, this, this movie is an interesting mix of tones. If you're going to have yeah. the most slapstick R two D two sets a couple of silly droids on fire, followed by a guy getting decapitated, decapitated, and getting his arms or his hands lopped off in a fairly yeah. realistic manner it's fine i guess i don't know is this movie a weird mix of tones i mean yeah, no, this it is, is exactly weird... what it needed to be though. well i don't know i can imagine let's go i mean ryan johnson did the same thing did he i don't remember any humor i guess we've got bb8 driving the bb8 leg. does some slapstick and then we have the slapstick on the island with both the porgs and the island people right like ray chops a thing in half and then it comedically rolls down the hill and smashes the little cart that they're pushing. Yeah, I guess it's in the tradition of Revenge or uh, Return of the Jedi where we're cutting between Luke's psychological Jungian Freudian drama with his father and a bunch of teddy bears beating up robots. Yeah, I mean I, mean, I, I suppose that's the template as much as anything in the original trilogy. I don't know, they try to hold that stuff together. It is weird. Well, especially the ending of this movie is so Yeah dark and it is like it is the one star wars movie where i want to if i'm showing it to depending on which kids are going to be around like i've got to have my remote in my hand like skip just skip the the whole immolation scene yeah, yeah. like <laughs> the beheading scene yeah 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 and i would argue probably you know it's not like either one of those things bothers me that much personally but i, I could stand to have both of those things toned down actually because these are kids movies and yeah there's a way to tell that story without actually watching anakin catch on fire and him look like kind of a holocaust picture or something like that with yeah his skin. while he's yelling and while his former best friend <laughs> turns sadly and walks away yeah <laughs> it's like that's pretty uh that's pretty gruesome. So let's see. Big action scene. Those cannons are cool. That was my only other note about those those giant cannons on the side of the ship. Like George, oh. George Lucas just keeps making new stuff. Yeah. I really miss yep. that about these these new movies just don't have enough new stuff. Then we got uh, Anakin and Padme, all their love stuff. She's pregnant. I've, here's my hot take on that. I actually didn't hate it. I did not hate it. After Attack of the Clones, <laughs> anything was going to seem pretty romantic and wonderful, but the it's dialogue- because you're so in love. No, it's because I'm so in love with you. Then love has blinded you? <laughs> That's not what I meant. <laughs> what did you mean, idiot? <laughs> Maybe it's because I I'm willing to actually th throw this embarrassing theory out there. Maybe it's because I'm newly married, and so I was actually able to just simply bring enough of my, oh, yay, being married is fun to this and awkward yeah and awkward and you know like oh she's sometimes i look at her and she looks pretty and i'm like oh how did i end up with someone who's so pretty i was able to bring enough of that <laughs> to make this stuff kind of work <laughs> but, but but i'll but i'll make a couple i'll say a couple things in my defense number one natalie portman finally has a character to play albeit a pretty basic vulnerable pregnant happy lady but at least it's something you know it's 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 more of a more of an actual character than I think she got in either of the other two movies. Number two, she just looks pretty with her hair down and stuff. Number three, I don't know if I have a number three, actually. I don't know. The writing's not good, but I thought it was more relatable and more not, and, and, and kind of sweet. And I will admit, it just it, it didn't rub me the wrong way like all the sand uh, 
all the sand stuff. So the sand rubbed you the wrong way. And the sand, well, it's, it's you, coarse and gets everywhere. Gets, it gets everywhere. I also think Natalie Portman, she's one of those actresses. I, there's a number of Amy Adams I might mention. There's a number of a- actresses that play vulnerable really well, but they barely ever do it because we live in an age where people don't write those kinds of parts for women. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think Natalie Portman is actually better suited to playing a more sweet, vulnerable character like she does than to barking orders and firing guns. She's just not never very convincing doing that in the other movies. But so I don't know. I thought I thought the stuff worked. The part where she tells him he's pregnant, she's pregnant is nice and she kinda waits. It's a good to, scene. She's to waiting it. to see his reaction and he's he gives us the I know how I should react and <laughs> okay, I'll do it. This is the best <laughs> thing that's ever happened. <laughs> I feel like we don't get that as enough in movies. We get the oh no and we get the Oh, yay. But to have the very human and relatable, she's waiting for to cue off of how I feel about this. And she really wants to be happy. And I really need to give her permission to be happy. But also like, this is hard. This is hard. That's a nice, I don't know. I'm sure George Lucas didn't give it that much thought, but it was a nice little moment. Yeah, I think it was, it's one of the better emotional moments of the, of the movie in a movie that lacks a lot of intrinsic emotional uh, resonance. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this movie does. There's more extrinsic mm. emotional resonance if you've seen Clone Wars. I'll say that. I'll say it again and again and again and again and again. Is extrinsic a word? I made it up. I, I, I don't know if it's real I like not. it. I hope so. Actually, I, I don't know. Maybe I hope you made it up. By the way, it's cool. I like it. Look it up. Uh, uh, ex- My computer is not working right now. Extrinsic. Yeah, it is. Not part of the essential nature of something or someone coming or operating from the outside, extrinsic is not only a word, but it means exactly what you wanted it to mean. Yay. This movie has a bunch of extrinsic... Emotional resonance. Emotional resonance. Yeah, a resonance. So tell me this. Yoda gives the speech, which I copied from the internet. Death is a natural part of life. Rejoice for those around you who transform into the Force. Mourn them, do not. Miss them, do not. The shadow of greed, that is. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. So if we take the extrinsic material from the Clone Wars, are we supposed to feel good about that speech? Like, would Anakin be a better man if he actually learned to be that much of a Buddhist? Or is Yoda calling him to something that's actually impossible and no one should be called to? Where are our sympathies? Because I had no idea what George Lucas was trying to say with that whole... That's the speech when Anakin, it's like in Act 2 and... Anakin goes to Yoda and says, I've been having dreams about about someone I care about. Yeah. And Yoda says, ah, just let him die. That's uh, it's good if you yeah, just can, can disconnect that's, yourself. That's crap. And the Clone Wars show, th- that show knows that that kind of thing is crap. This is part of the problem. Part of the problem is I really think that the Clo- Clone Wars show insists that part of the problem is the Jedi don't have a healthy way of dealing with emotions. Mm-hmm. And they're conflicted, and it's really about suppressing. So you have one side that's let it all loose, and another side that's like suppress and live in denial right. about the reality of your emotions. And then you have Anakin trying to walk a line that's different that says, I'm not buying either of these. And there's absolutely no one to help him. And there's nobody to help him. But when he does walk that line and does something great, everybody's happy. And when he does walk that line, and fails or crosses that line, everybody's ready to smack him hard. Right. Hard, hard. But I think one of the, that that is the tension that Clone Wars is playing with is like, actually, it's not right. It's not right to pretend like these people don't matter. Be zen about it. Mm-hmm. Right? 
Anakin will not be zen about, like they're, they're zen about people dying before they die. And that gives them permission to let them die. That happens over and over and over again, not just to Ahsoka, but to other people. And Anakin's like, no, not having it. I don't let the people I love down like that. Like, no, we're going to find a way. I'm going to find a way. And if you tell me no, I guess you'll have to kick me out of the order. And then he goes and saves the day. Mm-hmm. And everybody's like varying degrees of happy or uneasy about it. Like, well, Anakin, he was right. Like, and he did save the day and they are alive now. And some people are like, thank the maker. We have an Anakin on right. our side. And other people are like, yeah, but this could go dangerous places. Like, <laughs> 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 but if there had only been somebody and the closest person to just sort of having Anakin's feeling his way forward as somebody who's broken. It's not, he's not a healthy person. Right. And he's trying to walk these lines as a broken person. That The closest two people that we have to having the right, same kinds of inclinations or intuitions, but from a more healthy perspective are Obi-Wan, who has given himself to the Jedi training. And it's sort of like, he's very sympathetic to Anakin and like sees it. Mm-hmm. But also he's a loyalist. And then there's Ahsoka who, she's an idealist. And so she just sort of, has this way of floating above the Jedi Order and interpreting everything in a through her own healthy lens until she gets betrayed. She has that kind of integrity, mm-hmm. I guess. She's not she she can't be a part of something she doesn't believe in. And so she just walks and um does it with enough self doubt in the process of, wait a minute, I came here and I trusted these people and they didn't trust me. And now I don't know who to trust and I don't know if I can trust myself. One thing I know is I can't be here. This is bad. This is bad. So again, this is just the problem of the movie. In the context of the movie, all we ever know is Yoda is the voice of wisdom. And so the movie doesn't tell us that this Yoda stuff is bad news. You know, it sort of makes you appreciate Ryan Johnson, actually. At least when he's screwing with us, he has the forthrightness, shall we say, to be like, okay, I'm screwing with you. Luke actually, not such a good guy. That's the story I'm telling. You may not like it, but that's the story I'm telling. I mean, I think it's important. I mean, you can look at this stuff and say, well, Clone Wars managed to retcon a lot of bad storytelling Mm -hmm. to make it work. But I I think it's worth everybody remembering that Lucas had his hands all over Clone Wars from the beginning. I think Lucas is just a bad storyteller, but these things are inherent. Well, Lucas actually is, I think, is a good student of history. And I think the fall of the Roman Empire... Yeah, I think there's, I don't know what parallels he'd point to for this, but I, I don't know. I think I keep thinking of uh, Catholic clergy, actually, you know, <laughs> the idea of we are going to be told to suppress all of our sexuality. And then some of us are going to go to very dark, hedonistic places of not suppressing it at all. Yeah. And some of us are going to react to that by suppressing and denying. And what none of us are going to be allowed to do is just get married and find Express the good... healthy sexuality. Yeah, 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 yeah. Don't know that that's what Lucas was thinking, but he manages to, to root his stories in these kinds of realities, which are really compelling, actually. And it's just too bad he doesn't have the means of executing it. Star, Star Wars, at the end of the day, is a saga that really doesn't end because it is always about this sort of attempt to find balance mm-hmm. through opposing forces. It's very, it's dualistic in its nature. And so there's just no. The dark rises and the light to meet it. Yeah. Or vice you know, versa, whichever one it I was watching, uh, like somebody, some, I mean, somebody was just pointing out the other day that, you know, the Jedi order rises and then somebody on the dark side, just as powerful as the, I mean, super powered rises up to meet the entire Jedi order and overthrows and pulls Anakin 
to the dark side. Mm-hmm. So you have two super powerful dark side forces. And the force responds by giving us two super powerful light side forces in the twins that come from Anakin. And it's just always this sort of like yin and yang, yin and yang response. This mm-hmm. is a dualistic way of are they ever going to come to the middle and find a. And we'll find out in Rise of Skywalker. I guess we will. No, we won't. If we did, then what stories would there be left to tell? I would love that. If if they descended it. Ray healed the force. I mean, that would be a stupid, but <laughs> the light they, won. They became gray Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everybody's gray. Now we can acknowledge that we have bad impulses and also channel them into good thing, you know, but they're never going to. Let's. Yeah. Now let's go back and yeah, they can't. I would love it's, it. It's a, it's a difficult corner because if they if they came to some resolution that denied the dualistic reality of that pervades Star Wars, that you can't even go back and tell stories of the Old Republic mm-hmm. or whatever without thinking everybody's wrong. But if so, it's just going to be truly Buddhist and that this this cycle just keeps repeating itself, then at a certain point, it's like. What's Who the cares? point? Like, what's the point Who of cares? Rey becoming the great good Jedi if another bad guy is just going to have to crawl out of the the abyss yeah. to fight her? It's like, hey, guess what, guys? That we don't live in a dualist world. We live in a world where God is God and good will win. And all of your stories had better follow that pattern, or else. Right. Which I think they sort of did. If you just took the original trilogy, like the yeah. emperors fell down a well and exploded in a blue cloud of what of evil. Everything's good. He's brought he brought balance to the force. But there's an example of a story conceit that Lucas allowed to be as vague as possible. Like, what yeah, does it actually what mean? What does balance mean? Does balance mean that actually things are going pretty well. So the last thing we want is balance because that means some bad needs to come and balance <laughs> yeah, out exactly. the good. Yeah, <laughs> It's so weird. Yeah, whatever. The Jedi suck. It just falls apart when you think about it. So it's better to think... Hey, laser swords and telepathy. That's neat. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. So let's rush through this. Let's see. Anakin goes to Palpatine's office. Palpatine's office is pretty cool. It's painted in that that evil red. <laughs> I imagine he went to Sherwin Williams and just asked for evil red. And yep. um, it's the same color as his evil red cloak that he's wearing. Like, yep. I wonder who the Sith Lord is. Probably the guy with the evil red <laughs> office. <laughs> <laughs> Who whispers things. Who has evil red guards that also have horns that make them look like the devil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, but he is, Palpatine's great. What a oh, yeah. what a well-modulated performance. He knows exactly how much to go over the top and when to hold back. It's not just all over the top. I, I particularly like, I, well, I love it when he's just, as we talked about last episode, when he's just enjoying himself and you know, my little green friend and laughing and laughing as he goes after Yoda. That's that's fun. Sadistically. But he does make us wait for it. You know, he actually plays it pretty close to the vaster chest. I think he can get away with either one. Well, Palpatine has both. <laughs> so... So let's keep it close to the vest. Keep, it's a little, piece of, keeps it close it's a little to, cleaner. Yeah, he keeps it close to his red vest. And, and uh, Ian McDermott does a nice job of winking at the audience just enough. You know, he'll deliver those lines with a little bit of a, yeah, we know, we all know I'm the devil. But he doesn't do that all the time. Yeah. A lot of times he actually does make Palpatine seem like a pretty plausible ruler, you know, pretty plausible. What is he? He's the, I want to say prime director, but that's not right. <laughs> what is he? <laughs> he the he, president? <laughs> Prime Minister? Supreme Chancellor. Supreme Chancellor, yes. 
The Jedi do this stupid bummer of a strategic move where they want Anakin to go against the Jedi code and spy on Palpatine. Yep. And uh, what's his face? Mace Windu says it's very dangerous putting them. Yes, it's very dangerous putting them together. So don't do it, you yeah. idiots. I'm very happy to hear that Clone Wars just says, yeah, they were pretty dumb because yep. that's the only thing that makes sense. Yoda goes and sees the Wookiees. I guess kids probably like that. To me, that's such a complete waste. Of, like George Lucas knew the end and he knew he needed some shoe leather so the movie wasn't too short. So Yoda went and hung out with some Wookiees. Yeah, and he gets to be out of Coruscant when Order 66 goes through and n- nobody gets to know if he survived or not. Imagine, though, if there was like a bad guy that we cared about that was doing something that Yoda had to go deal with. I, I, I guess Obi-Wan goes and deals with a robot that we kind of care about because he looks cool and wears a cloak. Is that just his lightsaber holding cloak? Do robots get cold? Droids. I'm sorry. I should say droid. Why, why does He's not a droid. Is he a cyborg? He's got a heart, remember? Oh, that's right. He's like proto-Darth Vader. Okay. Which is interesting because... Because he's got human eyes. Yeah, he has human eyes. Yellow Sith eyes, no less. He's got some kind of animalistic thing going. He, he's just basically a cyborg at this point. I think if you look it up, you know, he is a sort of like piece by piece rebuilt and kept together mm-hmm. kind of thing. Don't forget, Obi-Wan opens up his chest armor, which is a little too easy for you. Oh, I don't like that at all. I don't like seeing Obi-Wan win by cheating. Not because I care that Obi-Wan cheated, but just because that's not fun. Like, if Obi-Wan has principles, he should have to use them to defeat the bad guy. He shouldn't be like, oh, well, the chips were down. I shot him. Plus, yeah. if he's that easy, so why, why, didn't some, why didn't somebody else just shoot him? Yeah, like, I, like it, why, why would you have your armor be built? Like, if it's such, I mean, his armor, he gets to have multiple arms. He gets to crawl like a creepy spider. He gets to roll around. He gets to do all kinds of crazy things. It's like superpowered stuff. And yet his vital organs are so close to being exposed. Like, why would you do that? Well, and that's just that's such a lame solution. It's such a good like the the problem is we have Ninja Windmill Spider Man. How do we kill him? That's the kind of thing. Okay, let's get some writers together and let's sit around for a week and come up with the best, most inventive, creative, surprising, delightful solution to Obi Wan did this thing that we never expected. Well, I don't know. We might have thought. Oh, I know what would be funny is if the only way Obi Wan can do this is if he has to resort to using a blaster and then. Well, then the way you do it is for the last three movies, Obi-Wan has gotten into scrapes and he will refuse to grab a blaster and he will not do it. And there's times where just doing some simple technological things would save him. But he is a crusty uh, neo-Luddite Jedi. Let's, let's really feel it when he makes that but choice. We, we didn't know that we were trying to set up this battle for the past three, two movies. What we do know is that Obi-Wan thinks that blasters are uncivilized and lightsabers are civilized. And I think there's a way that we talk ourselves into something like that. And we could talk ourselves into it. But what we really should have talked ourselves into was writing the scripts together. And so that when we got to the point where we needed that story thing to be laid in, we could be like, let's go back and type in let's some layer parts. It all. Let's go back and layer it all in. Yeah. Yeah, I mean... It's called a second draft, George. It's this, <laughs> this thing that writers do. <laughs> you should really look it up. Um, <laughs> I don't know. That... Well, so the other thing is, I'm sure that there's some example of this in, or some explanation of this, retconning of this in, what do we call it, the extended or expanded universe? But why would you give, you have this problem of, if you're going to 
you have to know if you're creating this super mobile cyborg mm-hmm. with the remaining vestiges of a once self-sustaining being, you're creating this problem that says, why didn't you do that for Darth Vader? Why does he have to be this slow, cumbersome, barely mobile? Well, actually, I've heard the solution to that is... I know, I'm sure it's some retcon thing of like... Well, they say it's not even retcon. What I've, what I've heard is that... Because in, even in this movie, Anakin says, Padme, you and I will we'll overthrow the Chancellor. But I've, what, I've, what I've always understood it to be, the thing that's at least implicit was that Palpatine... Keeps him down. Keeps, keeps him down. He wants him to be powerful enough to take everybody, everybody out. But he also understands that Anakin at full strength is, is and will destroy him. And in fact, Anakin at half strength does destroy does, him. Yeah. For what it's worth, that's that's the explanation that I've heard before. I think that's made more explicit in some of the some of the extended kind of stuff. Even then, like, why wasn't why why doesn't Anakin go off on some mission and just get himself get himself a grievous body and come back and be like, "What's up now, dude?" I don't know if you can walk down the hallway and just slaughter everybody when you're moving like Frankenstein. Then why bother? Because you want to overthrow Palpatine because. Screw that guy. He got you into this mess. Yeah, you don't want to overthrow Palpatine. He's your best friend. <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe one day he'll teach you how to resurrect Padme. I don't know. <laughs> well, how do you feel? So, I don't know. Is there anything else to say about uh, what's his face? Cyborg Man. What is his name? General Grievous. General Grievous. Not a very interesting bad guy to mm-hmm. my way of thinking. He's He gets to spin his lightsabers around super fast. Yeah, though. movie kids like that. That was a little silly for me. He gets to land and move like a creepy horror film. Yeah, the spider thing is kind of fun. Thing. But I don't know. He's he's not my favorite bad guy. I think the bad guys, the the henchmen, the odd jobs of these particular films get progressively worse. Maul was clearly the coolest. Dooku was fine as a plot element, not, not very exciting as a combatant. And mm-hmm. then Grievous is just kind of... Ah, well, we needed something fun for kids. Not really my cup of tea. I, I would have been happy f- to see Maul just be the main henchman through all three of these movies. And in fact, I understand that that's something that Clone Wars went out of its way to fix. Yeah, they brought him back. And they also added an another interesting villainess that had her own arc. They do make Dooku and Grievous more interesting, but they also they bring back Darth Maul and he's awesome. And they give us uh, Asajj Ventress, who is creepy and scary and interesting and even somewhat redeemed by the end in her way. It's cool. I, I, yeah, yeah. I've met her in, in my brief for, forays into Clone Wars, and she's pretty cool. Yeah, she has one of those scenes that you, you want to know about before you show your kids. Yeah, I think I saw that one. I think I showed it to yeah. you <laughs> as like, this is why we can't. <laughs> yep. She's a... Uh... I'll go ahead and tell you, listener, what it is. And I think that this actually got cut for TV. Interesting. But when it was on Netflix, it was just there. They put it back in or whatever. Oh, watch out for that on Netflix. Yeah. She has this amazing entrance into, I think we've seen her before, but we've not seen, we don't know how bad she is yet. And then we're going down this corridor and there's this big battle raging and then suddenly this clone trooper or somebody gets slammed up to the ceiling and slammed to the floor and slammed against the wall and pinned up against the wall by force powers. But then she force pulls him to her where he's impaled on her lightsaber. And as he slides down it, she kisses him. (laughs) Yep. That's what it was. 
and it just is super dark. Yeah. It's like, that's the kind of thing that, I don't know about you guys, not really crazy about my kids watching that. Yeah. But, um, and actually, she and Darth Maul are from the same home planet, and everything that centers around that home planet is dark and gross. Well, there you go. That's a more specific and good caveat, given how much we've talked about how much those clone things are pretty fun. What do you think about Anakin's dream? You think that's a good story conceit or a, a lame story conceit? I I think that the conceit of prophecies are dangerous and often by fearing them, you fulfill them. That's a, just a classic story conceit. Like Tolkien does that, Greek mythology I like yeah. that, but everything that you were describing about Anakin's gradual descent and the Jedi being bad and the actual way that somebody like that would go to is so much more interesting to me than, eh, he was a pretty good guy, except for he got scared about a dream, a dream and then everything and bad. And he killed a bunch of children. Right, yeah. The reason he was willing to kill those children was because, yeah, you know, he, he had, had a bad scary dream. dream. Yeah. yeah. Don't forget the last time Anakin had a dream, his mom was captured and implicitly raped and brutally murdered when he didn't act on them quick enough. Right. And now he's having the same kinds of dreams about his wife. When you are somebody who has no father, whose mother went through all of that, and you had the dream, and now the only person left is your wife, and you're having the the same kind of dream with the same kind of intensity, you can see that freaking a guy out. Yeah, it makes sense. I just... I just wish Lucas understood human depravity a little bit more because at the end of the day, if you, if all you take it is, is these movies, you kind of get the idea no one ever goes bad unless the deck is stacked. stacked. And it's like Anakin's perfectly capable. The real Anakin is perfectly capable of going bad without the deck being completely stacked against him. Yeah. Um, and part of the tragedy of, you know, Shakespeare's writing it, the deck's going to be, you know. If Romeo and Juliet had just gotten the th- the message in time, then you know, you know, that kind yeah. of thing is what's fun about tragedy and cathartic is watching things just go wrong. And actually, the movie I think could use a little bit more of that. If they just pulled off this thing, you know, yeah. they just if if Obi Wan had just gotten there in time, yeah, you know, we need to for a tragedy like this to really work, we need to feel really like really feel more tension about. I don't know. You you want to feel like it's on the knife's edge, and it just. If this happened, if that happened, if this happened, if that happened, if only this, if only that. Well, you can you can really have fun with, we all know Anakin's going to go bad if at a certain point we're like, oh no, Obi-Wan, you just got to make it to the thing on time and we know something. not going to. And so we're all on the edge of our seat just waiting, waiting to see, to see what what, was, what's yeah. going to happen. But we really just, the feeling you never really get, which is a great feeling that great tragedy can give you is, I really want this to end differently. Like, let's yeah. let's obliterate those other Star Wars movies and just have... Yeah. And it can make the right choice this time. Yeah. But it has to feel like it's on that much of a knife's edge, which... Yeah. And, you know, what I was going to say earlier is that you have some sympathy for the writers or Lucas, you know, everybody knows he's becoming Darth Vader, so let's not pretend like he isn't going to. But that's just crap. That's a crap argument. And... No, that just gives you is, more fun things to play yeah, with, Yeah, it's just way more fun when you... When you Everybody knows it's he's going to become Darth Vader. You know, let's really play with that. Yeah. The, we can play and play and play and play with that. If we had a moment in writing the Ville where somebody was going to become Darth Vader, mm-hmm. we would play and play and play and play and play. Maybe play a little too much. Yeah, but the, your goal is to make, like, everybody that walks into the first movie is like, okay, what I really want to see is him put on that mask and get his red lightsaber and go to town. They want the, the hallway scene from Rogue One. That's what 
Lucas dangled over our heads, and rightfully so for that whole prequel trilogy, and ultimately refused to want to give us for whatever noble and or not ignoble <laughs> motive. That's So that's what you do as a storyteller. You say, I want to make people actually feel this so much that they don't want Darth Vader. Like they need to reject yep. Darth Vader. They need to feel the full tragedy of, you know, like the we, fall of the greatest Jedi to ever live. And maybe it's unfair. I suppose it's unfair to compare him to Shakespeare of all people. But if you want to look at the greatest uh, tragedy writer, tragedy, tragedy, Tra- tragedian tragedian tra- tra- tragedi- tragedian yeah that's I don't know. A- as a template it's like you go and watch romeo and juliet if you're not an idiot if you've been through high school you probably know i'm sorry idiots if you're listening and you don't know this but romeo and juliet die and so you go and you watch it and you're like yep they're gonna die and then by the end if you're like father lawrence you gotta make it on time you know no she only took a sleeping draft. No, you don't idiot. do it. Don't Just do wait. It. She's gonna wake ah. up any second. Ah! And good stories can actually do that. And it's so cool when an author can play with you. And ultimately, it doesn't matter whether you know the end. Actually, I think we've all watched movies that we know the ending. Or you'll even watch a bad guy try and do something, and in the big scheme of things, you'll want the bad guy to lose. But just because you have that human feeling of, I really want him to succeed in getting out of the office without being noticed or getting the, th- the file or whatever it is, you know, a good yep. storyteller can really make you feel that suspense of they, they need to do something. And if they just do it, things will work. But this movie just doesn't have enough of that. Yep. Uh, we got the bubble opera. Uh, yeah. Bubble, bubble ballet, I call it. <laughs> it really doesn't look like a fun, <laughs> kind of a modern a great, modern art kind of. Great big soap bubbles with, with uh, like didgeridoos. Yeah, yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a good place to have an, a, an evil mentor try and turn you to the dark side. A, a bad place to see an entertaining show, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Not, I would not be too interested in going to the didgeridoo bubble opera. <laughs> but, but that's... One of the cooler scenes, the the legend of dark or dark. That's what I used to say when I was five. Dark Vader, uh, <laughs> the legend of Darth Plagueis is Darth Plagueis the wise. The wise. That's a wonderful bit of myth making. Full kudos to Lucas. Yep. He's good at story built at just building out a world and you know having having the story told of who Palpatine's master was and without quite telling us that that's what we're doing and filling in all the backstory that way. It's just. It's a lot of fun. And he says, if one is to understand the great mystery, one must study all its aspects, which is a nice, yeah. <laughs> nice devil, <laughs> devilish. Yeah. Not merely one side, idiot. Yeah. Has God really said you may not eat from the tree? It's, it's, it's a nice, you know, yep. satanic kind of thing to say. Yeah. He does. Ian McDermott does so much with. Can you really understand the nature of good without knowing the nature of evil? Right. Can you? And who hasn't been tempted by that? I mean, I, in my life as a teenager, I specifically looked at certain pornography because I was like, oh, well, you know, I should probably understand what such and such a thing is. <laughs> it's like so stupid, but it sure felt like a compelling argument at the time. I mean, that's why Christian bros watch Game of Thrones, right? Like, so yep. they can understand the depravity of man. That desire for knowledge. Hashtag Jake's Augustine riff that he's given many times. You can find it most recently on the Bookening Magician's Nephew episode. Is that so? Yeah, for the bell. The bell and charn. Oh, yeah. So then we have Anakin confronts Palpatine. Palpatine chooses that moment in the office to reveal himself for 
whatever reason. I don't know why. He's playing 4D chess, baby. 4D chess. Yeah, I guess it all worked out. <laughs> Can't well, really criticize Palpatine. He won. <laughs> he won. <laughs> the Jedi Order fell. He got his way. We have that wonderful dialogue. Would you like to kill me? I would very much like to. I know you would. I can feel your anger. It gives you focus. <laughs> focus. <laughs> Makes you stronger. <laughs> He's so good at his syllables, his consonant. Well, and if you look at that dialogue on the page, it's just as bad as Samuel Jackson's dialogue. It's just as bad as a lot of the clunky dialogue. But man, he makes it sing. He finds the melody to that. And it's just, I mean, it's probably easier to do it when you're playing the devil and you can just yeah do it. But man. Yeah, well, it's just like, uh, sorry to compare <laughs> compare uh, Star Wars once again to our epic little story podcast. Right. <laughs> it's like when we can give the most prosaic lines to a character like Pastor Stu. Right, and he can just find them. And Ben will find a way. Yeah. Like, that's part of the fun. Like, you want to write, when you're writing these things, you want to write so that a bad performance, your dialogue can carries the day. Your dialogue should be performance-proof. Exactly. It should just it be, if, the, anyone re- make if someone dialogue, reads it, it works. Yeah. yeah, you want to make your dialogue as performance-proof as possible so that even if you have a bad performance, a bad casting, a bad actor, whatever, you're locked in because whatever it is, like the dialogue carries even a bad performance. But when you have a certain kind of character like a Stu and a certain kind of actor like Ben, mm-hmm. it's pretty fun to just write the most boring and prosaic right. things and just put it out there and let him find right <laughs> something an interesting way to hit it yeah 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 it's like here's here is a saltine cracker now make a seven course meal out of it which is <laughs> what somebody playing that kind of character and doing it well yeah and it is do. i think it is the kind of character that because they're playing a you know an over-the-top devil sort of character like that's one of the few places where that can really work well the bad guys always get to have all the fun i guess that's the problem but I mean, how many prosaic lines did we write that had to be rewritten once they were performed by Stu because suddenly they started meaning things that... Oh, all the time. <laughs> I, 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 it was it's like, there's actually reading. no innuendo in this at all until Stu reads it. And yeah. then it's like, whoa, we didn't see that innuendo. <laughs> like, we would write those scripts and then we would bring Ben in and we'd bring the ladies in and we'd be reading them and it was everybody would suddenly be giggling because, and feel horrified because it's just like, and then we'd cut certain things like, oh, shoot, okay, we're not trying to be that dark, actually. That's too yeah. much. So he reveals himself to Anakin. Anakin says he's going to turn him over to the Jedi Council. Saunters out of the office. <laughs> 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 it's so bad. Movie making 101, I'm going to turn you over to the Jedi Council. Stay right there while I pull out my cell phone and keep my lights. Like, <laughs> right. I'm not worried about him escaping or yeah. I, I don't understand what George Lucas was. Well, if you just let it play like Palpatine's playing a long game and he knows he might have to make some sacrifices, but, you know, he knew what he was doing when he pulled that moment out. Mm-hmm. And he even knows that Anakin just deciding to walk out and go tell the Jedi Council is... Anakin's indecision and Anakin's turning right. at play. Like, just go ahead and let yourself read it the most charitable way as possible. You want to have fun with these movies, don't you? Yeah, I do. I do. And this <laughs> this is a fun movie. If if I haven't said this is an enjoyable movie. Well, and actually, let me talk about something I really like because there's a moment coming up right at right now, actually, in the chronology that I I would put in the top four or five Star Wars moments, and it's ones that nobody ever talks about that I know, but. 
it took me by surprise and I thought it was wonderfully evocative and emotional. It's where Anakin is going to think about what he's going to do and he goes into the Jedi temple room and it's all abandoned yeah. and he's looking out the window yep. and then George, uh, John Williams lays in this sort of ethnic war- warbling, spooky music and we cut across the city to Padme looking out the window. It's just a beautiful moment. It's like there's no dialogue to ruin it. But it just, uh, to me at least, it gets at kind of that feeling of Brutus contemplating whether he's going to go kill Julius Caesar. You know, it's this man who's standing on the cusp of history with all of time before him and all of time ahead of him. And he's trying to decide what he's going to do. And he doesn't know the thing that he's about to do is the thing that's going to define the entire galaxy for ever. Right. And he's looking out the window and thinking about his wife and she across the city is is looking out the window at him. We see all the little space cars going by and we're like, oh, wow, the civilization, you know, there's all of these people driving in their little space cars and they it's have no all about idea. to fall to pieces. They, and have, they have no idea. They have no idea. And it was a cliche, especially that year, because Gladiator came out, I want to say 2001. And then all these movies did like the ethnic warbling kind of yeah. thing to evoke that feeling of we're traveling back through time now you know to the era of empires and yeah. but john williams i thought did a nice little thing there because it does give you that feeling of the weight of history is you know the civilization's yeah. about to crumble and it's just a man and his wife looking out the window and it's a man it comes down to one man making a decision to try to save his wife right and she feels it mystical crap right but it's nice that she she gets a sense of it she looks out that window too and then you have some shots of just the the civilization you know with the little cars and it really does to me it it, it's spooky and evocative and it has that feeling of looking through a telescope or standing in a a ruin you know standing by an old statue or something kind of the feeling that lord of the rings gives you when they go past those two statues with the hands out oh, I'm only a small person and there's this big, vast cosmos full of history and incident and adventure yep. that's going on. But Anakin's actually not a small person. He's about to, he's about to make this momentous decision. And yep. it's just really nice. And it's, it's really tasteful. Like it's, it doesn't draw attention to itself. But I really, that, that moment, when you hear in, the, in part four in A New Hope, when, you know, uh, Obi-Wan talks about his old friend Anakin and how he went bad and all this kind of stuff. You picture this mythic kind of thing. And that's one of the only moments that I think captures that feeling of these are the old gods, the old kings, the old warriors, and something's about to go down that's going to change history. So that's the best moment. I'm I'm going to, I'm going to, my hot take is that might be the best moment in all three of the Prequels. prequels. It's just really nice. It's really simple, but there's, there's so little, we're just going to allow time for a feeling. Rogue One does it when they fly over that statue. Rogue yeah. One actually has a few moments like well, that. Yeah, they do. It's and one of the things of, that's the best about. It's part of what makes that movie special. You take those moments. I mean, honestly, I think I've said before that if I'm just going to watch a Star Wars movie for fun, it's probably Rogue One. Right. I don't know when the last time I've done that is, but the only thing that makes me say that is, oh, yeah, that feeling of flying over those fallen Jedi statues and also Darth Vader at the end. Yeah. That's it. That's all I want. That's what I want is that feeling. Those feelings, those are fun. I mean, if, if, uh, what's it called? If Rise of Skywalker could tap into that even a little bit, I'd probably love it. Yeah. If it just gave us a few of those moments, I'd go back and see it again. 
but I don't know whether it will. So then we have the big showdown. I love, and I have always loved the fact that Palpatine has a lightsaber and he just goes to town and he smokes everybody. Yeah. And, but I've heard some people say, oh, well, isn't it better with both Yoda and Palpatine? Wouldn't it be more, more dignified for us to just never quite know what the range of their powers is? Doesn't it actually reduce them when it's like, well, their power is they're really good at killing people with lightsabers. Great. You buy that argument? And the problem is, if you're going to, what other Jedi powers are you going to come up with? They could stare at each other while the Earth quaked around them and they floated up into the air and have kind of a telepathic. There's only so many see, ways to communicate so many great things. power right. fighting. And so, okay, maybe if they had inverted it, where they started with lightsabers and then went to lightning and I don't know. The formula with both Dooku when we first see Yoda and not so much Palpatine, but Yoda versus Palpatine. It's like we're going to start with some lightning and some try some other new tricks. And then when when nothing well, else works. Then we're pulling out the lightsabers. Right. And they even say this battle cannot be decided by our knowledge of the force. It <laughs> yes. can only be decided by our skill with a lightsaber. I don't know. I thought... I think the lightsaber stuff is fun and cool. I like that Palpatine's not that dignified. I like that oh, he's, no. he just, when you corner him, he's just going to scratch you. Like, yep. he, he doesn't care. Yeah. And I like the fact that he seems to, again, be really enjoying it. Like, he, he finally gets to flex his muscles, and he's been waiting for this. And I mean, I, what I like is the fact that in Clone Wars, ha, here I go again. Yeah, yeah. Hate me. Hate me all you want. He wields two of them. And he likes to drag him on the ground. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's cool. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Because <laughs> if you're the master of all evil, why not do that? Why not have a little intimidating little signature? <laughs> it's a super nice touch, I think. Well, and let's not forget, Jedi are powerful. I mean, Lucas doesn't really do a great job, but what he what he really should have done, and maybe Clone Wars, I'm going to guess it, probably rectifies this. Those if we, if we knew that those four people that walk into his office are all awesome, and then he just dispatches. Yeah, I know their names. I mean, I could tell you because they all have backstories. What I think it tells you is, and I think you get this too, Mace Windu is an especially powerful warrior with the lightsaber. Mm-hmm. He's one of the most powerful fighters in the Order. Yoda, Windu, and Anakin, those are the three people you don't want to cross swords with. Right. I think, I think what it ends up doing is at least showing you there's a, there, there are tears here. Well, and even there, you don't know that Palpatine actually couldn't dispatch Windu because exactly. it, it really works no out nicely idea. for Palpatine to act like Windu's got him. Yeah, he's got to, if he drags it out as long as possible, and he's definitely playing to the... You know, he's got me. I mean, he's doing like, I don't remember what the line is, but it's something like, please don't let him hurt me. I mean, he's really acting. Oh, I'm too weak. I'm too weak. Yeah. <laughs> Anakin. But then he kind of drops the facade when he blasts Mace Windu and says, power! Unlimited power! power! <laughs> <laughs> uh, if you've never blasted someone out of a window and while screaming... Power, power unlimited, unlimited power. power. I don't think you've lived. Oh, I hate George Lucas's writing is so bad though. When Palpatine is zapping lightning at at Adam and he's saying he's the traitor. No, he's the traitor. It just feels like a schoolyard. <laughs> That's what you make up on the schoolyard. Yeah, he hit me. No, he he, he hit me. You're making me hit. It. He's too dangerous to be left alive. Right. <laughs> It's not the Jedi way. Yeah, once again, Mace Windu seems like a completely unprincipled, cynical. Well, I think it's another nice push 
for Anakin, even in that moment mm-hmm. of like, Anakin's actually had no quibble. Well, he's only qu- he's only had minor quibbles, and we established even earlier in this film, he's going to do what's necessary. He will cut off Dooku's head. Yeah, but if I got spanked for eating cookies, and then my dad is suddenly stuffing himself with cookies before dinner, that's going to make me cynical about the whole... Exactly. So, so it, it feels less like... It, one read of that whole scene, badly written as it is, is less Anakin is clinging still to his Jedi principles and more he's throwing it back in Windu's face. Right. That's not the Jedi way. <laughs> <laughs> and then my, my other thing about that scene is I just like to imagine some humble Coruscant people just minding their own business when suddenly a <laughs> Jedi Windu body comes, comes slamming through. <laughs> the other thing that they do give Anakin in that moment, uh, the lack of pretense, uh, another place where there's a lack of pretense of principles where it's just, I need him. Right. Yeah, and he wants Mace Windu, like, let's arrest him. I mean, he actually has a point. Let's do what we're supposed to do, Mace Windu, right now. By the way, I looked it up. Maybe you knew this. I didn't know this. I've always wondered whether Palpatine's face melts because of the lightning or he's just revealing his true form. And according to uh, Korra and or Reddit, wherever I finally found the answer, it's neither one. It's the fact that he's channeling so much dark side that it's actually making him more monstrous. It's deforming him. It's deforming him. And it actually happens to Anakin. His eyes turn yellow. By the end yes. of the movie, his eyes are yellow because he's been channeling so much dark side. Yeah, I knew the thing about the eyes, but I did not know that about his appearance. His it's that Palpatine, appearance. just like he's been holding back. I mean, it's kind of like, I don't know what the analogy, you know, he hasn't been able to flex these muscles for a while. And then suddenly he's channeling all the dark side that he possibly can. And it just warps him into a monster. Warps him into a monster. All right, so then uh, Anakin becomes a bad guy, kills a bunch of children. Not sure we really make that emotional leap with him or with George Lucas. It's kind of a cool idea that George Lucas wanted to go that dark, actually. Like, we're not just going to see Darth Vader do cool hallway stuff like we wanted to. We're going to actually see some... Instead of that, we're going to see him massacring children. Actually, the moment where we all expected to see that is exactly, yeah, instead is the right word. But... I don't think we really, we've really earned it. Yeah, it doesn't quite land. Yeah. Maybe if those kids were more of a threat or if they were even slightly trained. I don't know. There might be or a if they, Or if it felt more gratuitously evil. Yeah. Like, they don't give you either. They could give you. It feels like he makes a cold hearted decision. If it's just like, I just chopped off Mace Windu's arm. I'm still half deranged. I'm feeling psychotic. Yeah, there's there's a way to make that play, maybe. But I think there is a way to make it play, but but just they didn't do a good job of it. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah, we basically just some stuff happens, some shenanigans, and we end up on Mustafar. Mustafar, he chokes out, does a little force choke. That's another wonderful dark decision, I would say. Like this force choke, which has basically always been a comedy thing. Like it's always been so much fun to watch Darth Vader handle his lackeys by. Choking them out one after another. Yeah. And we're going to, Lucas is going to rub our noses and liking the dark side that way. I don't like the fact that he doesn't, I mean, maybe I just wanted him to go all the way with it. Maybe this is too dark, but she died of a broken heart. Really? I mean, obviously the story beat there is, to my mind, Anakin goes too far. Did did they really say that though? Yeah. The robot says there's nothing physically wrong with her. When she's, yeah, but they don't actually say. lost the will to live. Yes, they do say that. Yeah. They do say there's nothing physically wrong with her. Yes. And she's simply, it's inexplicable. She's lost the will to live. I just, 
I was expecting, I think that line has been bandied about so much that she died of a broken heart. I yes. was expecting that it was actually in the movie. I was expecting that too, and that's not there, which is good. But the fact yeah. that she lost the will to live is pretty lame. It should have been yep. like, I, you can't, well, apparently you can have him burn up, burn to a crisp in front of his old friend and scream, and but I suppose it would be too far to have him actually just kill her. But he killed kids. I mean, I, I don't know. I felt like the logic of the story there was he goes too far and she dies or he hurts her physical, irretrievable way. I don't know. Felt like it kind of wimped out there for all the all yeah. the darkness. But, you know. I mean, he did kill her. He yeah. Still. Yeah, he basically. They just Papatine found, wasn't lying when he said that he killed her. Lost the will to live. This is probably just a better way to do that. I'm not sure what the way to do that. Obviously, you don't want to see him batter her down and that'd be too dark for a Star Wars movie, but yep. I don't know what I don't know what they should have done. Yeah. Who knows? I think that it, Padme carries pregnant full-term twin weight insanely well, and I just want to say that. Oh, she looks fantastic. She looks amazing. Barely looks like she's pregnant. Yeah, and she's carrying full-term twins, which is like Kind of impossible. And we see those twins. They were not uh, not tiny little... No, they are full term. We won't spend a lot of time on Yoda and the Emperor because we talked a lot about that in our Attack of the Clones. The Emperor is really delightfully enjoying himself. Uh, I will say Yoda is really bad at trash talk. If so powerful you are, why run? <laughs> <laughs> There's like a whole string of faith in your new apprentice, misplaced maybe. And it's like... <laughs> Yoda, we don't need to hear Yoda doing trash talk. He's, he's, my Yoda is more dignified than that, <laughs> let's, let's just say. But we've talked about that scene. Let's talk about the, the Battle of Mustafar. Did that. So, remember, bearing in mind that I heard about this thing through my whole childhood, this was the thing. Uh, it's okay. It's pretty okay. It's, it's fast, which is cool. It's the fastest we've seen two people go at each other. Yeah, they worked really hard for it. But, I could have done, I don't think I was ever a fan of the added tension and drama of the lava lava and everything, you know, oh, they accidentally destroyed the thing and it's going to sink and now we've got to deal with all the lava. And as a conceit, I can see why in the story room you say, we want to show these guys at their full powers. So let's have them not just be swinging swords at each other. We've done that. We did that with Maul. We did that with... Dooku, we did that with Dooku again. We're doing it with Sidious. Right. Let's give these guys something else to have to contend with while they're contending with each other to make it that much more cool. I can see how you would get there in a story in a story room, but but I actually think this is the part place where less is more. I, re- I do too. I've, just I've always Palpatine felt like that. Fl- flipping around and everything. I thought that was fun. But this is the place where actually Filoni does it in Clone Wars. I have seen, spoiler alert for it's Clone Rebels, Wars. Actually, there are Rebels, yeah. There's the final yeah. showdown between Obi Wan and Maul. Darth Maul. And yeah. he does it as an intentional homage to all the old samurai movie- movies where they, con- they, they look at each other, they size each other up, and then it's like a three stroke battle. Three stroke battle. And spoiler alert, Maul's dead. And that's kind of what you want here. And it's super sophisticated, even in the too nerdy sophisticated for me to get. Mm -hmm. Like, I read about it after the fact. Obi-Wan, there apparently are different forms of lightsaber fighting. And they're like numbered one, two, I don't know what they are. But Obi-Wan switches to Qui-Gon Jinn's 
That's awesome. Form. Right. And set Small up for the exact same kill stroke that he had against Qui-Gon Jinn. And, you know, Maul's not only fought Obi-Wan that one time. Like, what what happens is, okay, you've taken the form of Qui-Gon Jinn. I know how to fight this. And so, he sets him up for the same kill stroke immediately mm-hmm. that he had against Qui-Gon. But Obi-Wan's thought it all through and he's got his counter ready. And so, it's one, two, and over. Yep. This battle was won by Obi-Wan years ago. Which is awesome. Yeah. Now, this wasn't exactly the same kind of thing. I mean, I don't know. One way to maybe do this one is let's let's have Anakin fully unleashed. Like, this is the part where Anakin's just, like, flying around and shooting stuff. I don't know what he's doing, but it's like Anakin's fully channeling his rage and Obi-Wan's just on his heels. Yeah. That might be one story, it, one way to tell the story there. Not just on his heels by rage-driven Anakin that he can't handle, but the you know, emotionally on his heels. Obi-Wan's not actually emotionally on it. He's emotionally on his heels before he goes to Mustafar. He's like, don't send me to Anakin. I can't do it. And then he gets there and it's like, then you're truly lost, you know? Yeah, I think maybe George Lucas got too much into his head on this and actually bought into the schoolyard hype that I was talking. Like, this has to be the coolest battle. You don't want it to be the coolest battle because it's the coolest, like, display of acrobatics. You want it to be the coolest battle because it's the most emotional yeah. And because it's like they know each other's styles and it's yeah. playing off of things that we've and set up. And they did do and, that. Yeah. Like they did in the initial fight. You have this moment or you have these moments where they like counter each other. Perfect, They're perfect mirrors of each other. Right. You know, and they go to force push each other and it just, they balance, they're balancing each other out as perfect mirrors. You know, you're the master and I am but the learner. Right. But we need to see them size each other up more. There needs to be more pauses in between the... Especially with Yoda and Palpatine just providing us with the fun action set piece that we didn't expect. Let's, I think, slow down a little bit here yeah. one way or another and tell more of a story and less of just yeah, a display. And the story really should be just as simple as Obi-Wan is scared. Right. Because Anakin is better than him. And then Anakin's screws up because he's, he's arrogant. He's and arrogant angry. and overzealous. And Obi-Wan is just wise enough and just enough of a trickster to be able to take advantage of a moment or to set up a fall and against all odds win the day. Which Lucas, I guess you could argue, tried to do all of that, but it's so But it lame. was so clunky. I have, I have the, the high ground. ground. Don't do it, Anakin. Just, well, like Mark, as, just like Darth Maul exactly, didn't. Exactly, as was what I was going to say. As millions of people have pointed out, Anakin pulls the exact same move that Obi-Wan pulls on Darth Maul. And Darth Maul's just like, huh? And right. Whereas all Obi-Wan has to do is what Darth Maul should have done, which is swing up. Yep. And I guess you could say that Obi-Wan learned from Darth Maul's failure. Right. Sure. <laughs> I guess you could say that. <laughs> I, don't, I don't buy it for a second. Uh, it's just a lesson that great action scenes are about cause and effect. They're about watching the characters think their way through problems. They're about strategy. This action scene av- narrowly avoids being great, although it is pretty cool by just being too much of too much acrobatic. I would actually say the mall fight is actually probably the best fight in the prequels, and it has a little bit more of you know well, we're going to size each other up. Well, they have enforced tension with the random you know room with the laser things when you know Liam Neeson's going to go down and cross his legs and meditate. Right, that's good stuff. Obi Wan's going to be there chomping at the bit. Maul's mm-hmm. going to be pacing impatiently. Right, 
this is how we're showing the character. Of, this is characterization, and this yeah. is stuff that can't be lost in a, even in a great action. Also, the, my other criticism of this, I know it's important that Anakin can have that lightsaber and that Obi-Wan take it with him, but blue on blue is just not a cool yeah. thing. I, I've always, I think, in the back of my head, I only articulated it on this viewing, but I think I've always been disappointed that the greatest lightsaber fight of all time is a blue on blue huh. lightsaber fight, because that's just kind of lame. You, it is a reason to to have a red backdrop, though. Yes. And that's, I think, how they tried to solve the problem is to, and it's pretty. And also, you know, George Luke, or John Williams, I love the guy and he's great, but he tries to come up with an epic theme, that a choral thing that will kind of match Duel of the Fates. Yeah, and unfortunately, it, it's not. It, it calls back Duel of the Fates, but doesn't quite get there. It doesn't top it. And you, yeah. you kind of, if they made all these movies at once. It's like, let's use that one for the mall fight and let's save Duel of the Fates for the actual Duel of the Fates. Right. But it's cool. And then Padme dies and there's a random hallway. No! You know, that scene's been so thoroughly mocked. But what I did like is right before he says no, we cut to a close-up of Palpatine. And he's got this big smile on his face. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, Palpatine's just really enjoying himself once again. <laughs> Palpatine's just got a big grin. Uh, I love that he lets his face just like sag. Mm-hmm. So it's like, you killed huh yeah <laughs> 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 then he like goes into his grin but it's just like i don't know how to and by the way just in a fun moment of people that don't care about star wars my wife walked in during that moment and said wait darth vader has a black guy voice shouldn't this guy have been a young black guy <laughs> yeah i guess <laughs> i don't know it kind of ruins luke and leia but you're not wrong <laughs> I think it would have been cool if we would have heard it like they're they're trying out different vo- vocal <laughs> you know trying to get that Darth Vader tone just right <laughs> some explanation for why he suddenly has James Earl Jones's voice but yeah this is the only movie as, as I'm sure other people have pointed this out too but I sat in the theater I watched it happen that stupid hallway got a smattering of applause when we see the hallway on Organa's ship that we're used to from the beginning of uh of new hope yeah everyone was like yay the hallway and well we get the hallway and then we get to wipe c-3po's mind yeah that's fun and then we get a dual a dual sunset which is yes the only way to end i suppose absolutely wonder if rise of the skywalker actually it's a dual sunrise dual sunrise yeah we have a dual sunrise at the end of revenge of the sith and then we have the dual sunset at the end of the last jedi and new hope that's pretty cool all right well revenge of the sith where would you rank it jake uh top three top three yeah i think it's got some really boring stuff in the middle i do not care about obi-wan on a lizard fighting general grievous i'd say the last act is is really good like once sidious reveals himself it's pretty fun emotionally their movie even though certain elements are clunky but there is a lot of legwork to get there well I mean, you've basically got Empire, Revenge, and because of the elements included, Rogue One, mm-hmm. those are the th- those are in some order my top three. Yeah. And I don't know that anything else really comes close. I would agree with that. And I think that I'm going to, I'd let Clone Wars continue to do the work that it does for me and make it a far better movie than it deserves to be. It might be because of that. It might be the. It might be my favorite. Attack of, or uh, Ruins of the Sith might be your favorite. Yeah, just because of the work that Clone Wars does. Uh huh. High praise. 
for Clone Wars. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm not disputing it. I'm looking forward to watching Clone Wars as, just as soon as I can talk my beautiful bride into it, which maybe never. Maybe but never. Maybe maybe I'll just have to wait for kids. That might you be, might have that to wait for kids. My secret weapon. Sanity of the Movies, produced by me, executive produced by me and Jake. Until next time. Unlimited power. <laughs>